Let's, um, let's get our Bibles out. Let's get them ready. Let's have our hearts open and, and uh, our ears open, our eyes open. Jesus said if we would do that, then we'd hear and we would turn and he would heal us. He said if your ears were open, if your eyes were open, then you'd hear and then you'd see. Then you would turn and I would heal you. See, healing comes when we turn towards Jesus. Amen. Right? Amen. He's our healer. That's right. and, and I mean that in every area of your life because that's certainly what he meant to the people of Israel. He had been healing their bodies, but there was so much more they needed healing from. <laughs> healing in every area happens when we turn towards Jesus. In the presence of Jesus, everything is different. Mm-hmm. And when we celebrate Emmanuel, we are celebrating the presence of God that never has to leave us. We, that he is always with us. That Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And he's kept his promise. Amen. <laughs> he's kept his word because that's what he does. So I want us to open our Bibles to the book of Isaiah. We're um, carrying on us in, a, in um, these four weeks before uh, leading up to Christmas. We've been talking and started last week with talking about the... Um, prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. And as we see the prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament, we remembering this, and not just the Old Testament, we, uh, before we get to the end, we're actually going to be, and even today we, we might get into it, but uh, we'll actually be talking about prophecies that happened right before Jesus was born in the New Testament. But these prophecies, these these promises that God had been making he made from the moment that mankind sinned he made a promise he was going to send a redeemer he was going to send the answer to the problem uh, that, that began in the garden and so as we look at the Bible we see one long story of God's faithfulness we see the story of God keeping his word keeping his covenant and there's a couple of reasons that we want to go through these uh, prophecies and, and look at what was promised in Jesus one of those reasons is obvious to see that God keeps his word and, and, and that it's amazing at how well he kept his word I mean, when you look at the prophecies of Jesus, the prophecies about Jesus, and all the prophecies he fulfilled, it's astronomical. It's mind-bending. It, it's, it, it is so mathematically impossible for one man to fulfill all those prophecies about the Messiah without him actually being the Messiah. I mean, it, I mean you, you start to go into it, and it just hurts your head. You know, I mean, I don't know if you have some of those math problems or those, those things you start to think about. I don't know if you've ever started to think about eternity and the fact that God has no beginning and he has no end. And then you just have to go take a nap or you just have to take, you know, you just have to close your eyes for a while because you can't process it. It's beyond you. It, it should be beyond us when we think of um, how astronomical the odds are that Jesus would fulfill all these promises. And he fulfilled a bunch of them before he was ever born. Before he was ever born, he had fulfilled numerous prophecies that that I'm amazed, as as hard-hearted as they were, 
The lawyers describes the teachers of the law as, as stubborn as they were. They sure knew the Bible. They sure knew their, their, their prophets, the Torah, the prophets, the, 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 the Psalms. They knew these well because um, I don't know if I would have extrapolated all the stuff they extrapolated and figured out what they figured out. They knew stuff about the Messiah that we know now in hindsight, but they knew then. We, we mentioned it last week, but in Jerusalem... When the, when the Magi came to Jerusalem, the, the, the lawyers, the scribes, they pointed him to Bethlehem. They knew where he was going to be born. I mean, they knew stuff. Um, in fact, they confronted Jesus about it when he, when he was walking the earth. They, the, the Pharisees of the day thought he was from Nazareth. They didn't know he was born in Bethlehem. And they said, isn't the Messiah supposed to be born in Bethlehem? Like, they knew that. They knew that, that, that the, the prophets had said that when Jesus, that Jesus would be, or the Messiah would be taken to Egypt and come out of Egypt because he says, out of Egypt I called my son. I mean, all throughout the Old Testament, we, we talk about the prophecies about Jesus' death and resurrection, but it's really cool to see the prophecies about his birth and, and about his coming and, and, and realize that before he ever did anything as a human being, he had fulfilled a, a huge number of prophecies. And, and, and the odds of that, we won't get into it, but the, the odds of that are just beyond reckoning. And so as we get into this, we, first of all, we remember God keeps his promises. First of all, Jesus is the Messiah. There's, there's, there's all this evidence, all these prophecies he fulfilled. He's the promised one. Second, when we see that he's the promised one, we, we realize God keeps his promises. God has kept his covenant. God kept his end of the deal, and he always will. And so when we look at that, that gives us hope, right? As the Bible says, all of God's promises are yes. Get that in your head. Get that in your spirit. Because I don't think a lot of us really believe that as well as we should believe that. The Bible says all of God's promises are yes. They are yes. There's, there's no loopholes. They're just yes. And Christ Jesus, we have our amen. Because of Jesus, we can say amen to his yes. We can agree with his yes. We can say, I believe it. Even if I don't see it right now, I believe it. God's promise is yes. Jesus was the divine yes. What are the odds? Okay, so we, we talked about the odds being astronomical of, of Jesus fulfilling all those prophecies. What are the odds of a nation like Israel surviving? Really? Think about how many tr people try to wipe them out. They're in a very contentious part of the world where empires have just bulldozed through. I mean, who would survive the Assyrian Empire? Who would survive the Babylonians and the Persians? Who would survive all of this stuff? The, uh, Alexander the Great's empire came through. Romans came through. Uh, but even before that, way before that, when they were just a tiny group of people, how could they survive in the wilderness with all these tribes attacking them? Going into Canaan was a suicide mission, if not for God. How would this group of people survive? One man in the wilderness, one man wandering around who, as an old man, had left all his property, had left all his inheritance, and just started wandering with his tribe of people, staying in tents. He's never had a kid. He's way past the age where he could have a kid. He couldn't even have kids when they were of childbearing age. And now he and his wife are way past that. And, and suddenly this man gets a promise from God that through you I'm going to bless all the nations. What are the odds? 
that God would take an old couple who couldn't have kids and in their late, late elderly years do something in them and make a great nation out of them. What are the odds that that nation would survive to this very day? (laughs) What are the odds that those people, that line would survive and then someday would become a nation in the middle of the 20th century? And that when all of the nations around them decide to crush them and push them into the sea, they come out of that vastly outnumbered, vastly outmanned, and somehow they come out of that with more land than they started with. (laughs) What are the odds? The odds are absolutely 100% when God's behind it. That's what the odds are. Without God, impossible. With God, absolutely going to happen. That, that's the irony of it. We talk about these things that are so far, like, beyond impossible. But with God, they are absolutely, definitely going to happen. What are the odds this is going to happen? Well, because I believe in a promise, covenant-keeping God, I say the odds are 100% it's going to happen. No doubt. Because God said it. And so as he promised this Messiah, we see he keeps his promise. But then I think it's important that we look back to these prophecies about Jesus because they speak as much to us now if not more than they did the people that were waiting for the Messiah because now we are living in his day in his age we're living in this time where he has been revealed let me explain that Peter says that all of these prophets begin to speak about something and it says they, they made careful searches and inquiries trying to figure out who they were talking about. Can you imagine being Isaiah and speaking over and over about this Redeemer that was coming, about this rod that was coming, about this suffering servant, about this victorious Messiah that was coming? Can you imagine being Isaiah and just wishing you knew when and where and who? It says they did their homework after. That's my way of paraphrasing careful searches and inquiries. They did the research. Like, they made the prophecy, and, and that was beyond it. It wasn't coming from them. It was coming from God. And then afterwards, they're like, I need to learn about this. Where is this coming from? And they couldn't figure it out because it wasn't the time for that yet. But Peter says it's been revealed to us now that they were prophesying for our benefit. So many times we think the prophecies about the Messiah were just for the people who are waiting for the Messiah. But there's much for us now as they were for them. In fact, maybe more so. Because when he says, this is who he will be to you, I need to know that's who he is to me. When we say he's Emmanuel, I need to know what that means to me. Because I'm living in that reality now. It's a crazy thing that the Messiah walked amongst the people who had doctorates in in Christology, doctorates in, in, in knowing the Messiah, if there was such a thing. You had people who were such experts that they could tell you every little fact. They, they knew every bit of trivia and they missed him when he was right in front of them. In the same way, we can know every little fact about Jesus and still miss what he's doing right in front of us. 
So it's important that when we read these prophecies, we don't say, I learned something today. That was neat. I feel a little bit more educated. It's important that we read these prophecies. We say, God, make this alive to me so that I see this in my life, so that this is real to me. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 9. And uh, we're going to... We're going to dig into this, of course, in Isaiah 7. Um, King Ahaz has gotten himself into a bunch of trouble. He was afraid of a couple Syrian kings, and he made a, an alliance with a worse empire. He got himself into a mess, and, and God said, I won't allow my people to be obliterated. I will Keep the house of David. Here's my proof. And that's where he says a virgin will bear a child. You should call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah chapter 9, he, he's now speaking about um, this king to come in a way that I don't think people had, um, had any idea how to process. We know that prophecy in the Old Testament often had layers to it, right? So there were things that God would say that would have an immediate impact on them, but yet would have a far more far-reaching um, fulfillment. So, so when, uh, when Isaiah prophesied to King Ahaz, and he says, this is what's going to happen, and this will be a sign for you, I believe God gave that king a sign in his lifetime, but there was something far bigger that God was talking about. There was a fulfillment to come. In Isaiah chapter 9, we see this great promise, and we'll actually, we'll go back to this beginning of the chapter uh, next week, but I, I want you to see what he says. He says, the people in, in Isaiah 9 two, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you will break the yoke of their burden and the staff off their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian, for every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult, and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. And that language right there is so significant and beautiful that he doesn't say there's going to be a child born and you're going to be around. He doesn't say there'll be a child born in a distant land. But he says a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. This is echoed by the angels when they speak to the shepherds that this, this child is born to you and for you this day. He's given to us. That the God of all creation would put himself in human form and give himself to the very people that rebelled against him. That was his great love. This child will be given to us. This son will be given to us. Then he says this. He says, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts 
will accomplish this. Now, it's one of our classic Christmas prophecies, right? We read it every Christmas. At least we did. You know, in my family, uh, we had the, the Bible booklet that we give out, the Christmas story, you know, that, we, that our church gives out here that, that has um, some, some teaching about Christmas, but then also has some scripture verses for you to read in the home. And we would read the Christmas story, but we, would, like, we wouldn't just read the Christmas story like the animals in the manger. We would always go back and start with the prophecies and then move through. My sister and I, we have pictures from like every year of us sitting going, not, not while, don't, no, don't, you think I'm not spiritual. Not while it was being read. Because <laughs> see, we had a rule that we couldn't open presents until dad sat in between me and Liberty and read us the story. That's okay. We didn't mind that. We were good with that. What we were waiting for was dad to show up because dad would wake us up early in the morning, sit us on the couch, and we'd wait while he got made his coffee and he fiddled with his camera and he usually had a trick up his sleeve about one of the presents that took him like an hour, or at least it felt like two hours while we're sitting on the couch. So there's just pictures of us just sitting on the couch just waiting like you could have let us sleep through this. We sat on the couch and just waited. And finally he'd show up and then read us. And we loved it. So I was not against the reading. I was happy when the reading finally got there. <laughs> we were just waiting. Just waiting, waiting, waiting. Maybe, and maybe that was part of the point. To, to build us the anticipation that the people felt waiting for a Messiah. I don't know, but we just wanted open presents, you know? But we would read this. So like when I read this, this is so ingrained in me. I know this scripture. But when I read it again, I start to look at some key words that stand out to me. Because as we've said before, the name, when we talk about his name, we sang about it today, your name. And we talked about your name is a light, your name is alive, your name will not be overcome. We talked about this, this name. When we talk about a name so many times in our culture, we're referring to the sound we make to call somebody. But the name that he has means a lot more than that. When we talk about his name, it's everything he is. It's everything he represents. It's his nature, it's his character, it's his authority, it's his rights. When we talk about his name, it's important that we see what he calls himself, not so we know what words to use when we pray, but, although that's good, but really so that we know who he is and what he said he would do and, and what is his nature, what is his role in our lives. And I know that sounds weird because you go, role, it sounds like you're assigning him a job or a task, but who is he to me? Who is he to me? And, and, and you can answer that question a lot of different ways, but the smart way would be to let him tell you who he's meant to be to you. Yes. I've mentioned this before, but how many people in the room believe heaven is a wonderful place? Yes. And some of you are singing the song in your head. Um, I don't think anybody here goes, I'm not sure that heaven's going to be good. I, I know I've run into a couple people who think it's like the cream cheese commercials and they think they're going to be playing harps on the clouds, but no, that's not going to happen. So we all believe heaven is good, but why? So I used to believe that, and I, I've said this to you, so don't mind me repeating myself, but I used to believe that heaven was great because everything I wanted heaven had, that heaven was a custom-made playground for me. 
whatever my favorite things were, heaven is full of. Now, that might make heaven quite hellish for you, but for me, it's great. (laughs) You know, I like this, I like this. You know, you like ice cream, heaven is an ice cream playground. But that's kind of a silly way to look at it, isn't it? I realized that heaven was not being prepared for me. I was being prepared for heaven. I was being changed to fit heaven rather than heaven being changed to fit me. Because my version of heaven is not near as good, not near as amazing, not near as wonderful as his version, as of what it really is. What makes heaven so good? Is it all the ice cream? Because there's not a verse that says there'll be ice cream there. There could be. I'm not saying there's not. What makes it so great? Is it the streets of gold? Is it the tree of life? I'd say we, when, when we talk about God remaking a new heaven and a new earth, because we talk about heaven a lot, we don't want to talk about the new earth and whatever else he wants to create. What's going to make all that work? Uh, what, what makes it so that a kid can stick his hand in the adder's nest and not get bit? What makes it so that the lion are laying down with the lamb and you're not going to, you know, be missing Ramsey tomorrow? <laughs> What's different? What's different? And, and the difference is, is that God gets his way all the time. That's what makes it amazing. He gets his way. That's why it's so good. Because he's so good. And he always gets his will done. Jesus will rule with a rod of iron. That's why this kingdom is so wonderful because he's ruling. Now, if you do the math, that might mean you don't get your way all the time. Now, I, I trust our way will become conformed to his way, right? But it's perfect because God's will is always done in heaven. That's why it's perfect. That's why it's so good. Because God is good. So his will is perfect. There's nothing lacking. There's nothing that could be better about it. So God's will always done. That's what makes it amazing. That's why things work. That's why it's beautiful. That's why it's great. That's why you don't have to worry about being attacked. That's why you don't have to, to run from in fear. This is why. Because God's will is done. And we, we will rule and reign with him, the scripture says. Right? Yeah. Not as rebels, yeah. but as kings under the king. Yeah. Right? So this is cool. Well, notice the words he's using. This is what's going to make the Messiah great. This is what's going to make this so wonderful. Here's what he will be to you. He will be called a wonderful counselor. What is a counselor? Someone who gives you counsel. When you don't know what to do or where to go, he will lead and guide you. He will tell you which way you should go. He will be called a mighty God. Mighty God. He will be called an eternal father. More and more in the church, we've talked about this, but more and more in the church, where you discover that just in the church, just as in the world, people struggle with their view of God because they've struggled with their own view of their parents. 
because they maybe didn't have a good father, a good mother. They, they struggle with how to relate to God, and God heals those places. You didn't have to have a perfect father for you to understand he is a good father. He is able, more than able, to rebuild your heart and show you this is who a good father is. This is what it means to be, to be cared for like a mother would care for you. This is our God. And so when we read this, we, we realize he's going to be a father, an eternal father, one that won't go away, one that won't abandon you, one that won't leave. He'll be the prince of peace. What does prince mean? You know, in our vernacular, a lot of times we think prince is the son of the king, but... Um, in, in this language and in many others, prince just meant a ruler, right? So it, it doesn't mean that he's, a less, he's less than the king. Prince just means he's the ruler of peace. So there's peace because he's ruling. Now, I'm going to stop talking about heaven and talk about right now. Because we do believe your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to talk about right now for a moment. I understand that the kingdom of God won't fully be manifest in this earth until it's all recreated and he sets his foot on the planet again. But I do know that the kingdom of God travels with us, right? Right? We're not going to rebuild everything. There's got to be a point where he comes and he does his work. But the kingdom of God goes with us. It lives in us. It's amongst us, right? Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. He said whenever the, the disciples were to go to a new village, tell them the kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. It's right here. And the key of a kingdom, like the whole thing that makes it a kingdom, is that there's a king. That's why people were healed when they went. That's why demons were cast out when they went. Why? Because a new king has come to this area. His kingdom is forcing out other kingdoms. And where his kingdom are, people are healed. And where his kingdom is, people are set free and delivered. Where his kingdom is, people are saved. People are rescued. Now do you realize that this verse, Isaiah 9, 6, is one of the most beautiful and wonderful promises that, that the Lord's ever given us about his son? And yet, that verse, if you take it seriously, is not very good if you have a problem with authority. Because all the good things he wants to be to you have a hint of authority about them, don't they? So if you are addicted to your own independence, you might not want to take this as the verse for your fridge. <laughs> oh, wonderful counselor, but I only want you to counsel when I ask for your opinion. I want you to be my wonderful counselor when I've run out of all my other ideas. Can you be mighty God when I show up for church and I need a mighty God? Can you be the eternal father when I'm done running my own way and I, and I just need to come home and have somebody hug me? No, all of these things are great because this is what he wants to be to us all the time. So can we, can we say it's fair that Jesus came to give us freedom? But he did not come to give you independence. Do you get the difference? See, freedom, he set me free. I'm not a slave anymore. I, I am not bound by any chains anymore. I, he came and he set us completely free from the bondage we were in. But independence means I don't need anybody. And I absolutely 100% need him. I need him more than I knew I needed him. I need him more than, more than I need 
anything else on the planet, more than I would ever need any person or thing, I need him. So in that sense, I, I don't want to be independent. I want to be fully dependent on him because he is the vine, right? We are the branches. Apart from the vine, I can do nothing. So here's the deal. I thank God that we live in a culture where people can express themselves without fear of being thrown in prison. Right? Now, <laughs> the lines are getting blurrier, unfortunately. But, but you know, still, we can, we're, we're having church today, and nobody's stopping us. There's countries around the world that don't have that privilege. So uh, there are some things about, about freedom uh, that, that, I, that we see in government and that we see in nations that I think are beautiful things. They're wonderful things. But one of the things in our culture is we have idol. We've, we've turned an idol. Uh, we've taken, a, taken our idea of, of independence and do what you feel and do what you want and you be you and you do you. And we've turned it into this weird little idol where it's the most important thing is that you express yourself. Right? Just as long as you're expressing what you feel. Well, I might feel something really weird. Now, if I told you I have a craving to go kill a bunch of people, you don't go, just do what you feel. Right? Because that would be a bad feeling. Feelings may be real, but they're not always true. Right? That's not the truth. That's not a good thing. So, so sometimes we just kind of, we, we, we feel like, man, the worst thing you can do is, is just tell me that somebody's trying to control my life. Here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He, he didn't take you and make you into a puppet. He didn't turn you back into a robot. In fact, he says, follow me. And you have the right to say, no. It's just a dumb move. <laughs> follow me. He's inviting you into his kingdom. And all these things, see, the reason some of us flinch at these things is because there's been a bad version of these things in our lives. Or we've seen it, or we've experienced it. Listen, you know, I, I remember being in certain communities where we would talk to the youth, and many of these youth had already been in a lot of trouble. These teenagers had come out of some pretty rough places, and, and so we'd say, you know, God is your judge. And they go, Ugh. <laughs> No, no, that's a good thing. Like, he's on your side. Like, he's judged you righteous. Like when, when someone tries to steal, when the enemy steals from us, he's judged that God, God returns us and redeems us and he restores what's been stolen. That's a good thing. The, the reason we have a problem with the word judge is because we've been on the wrong side of the judge, but now we're on the right side because of the blood of Jesus. So that's a good thing. Jesus said to his disciples, the problem with the Gentiles is that they get power and they lord it over everybody. So you had a bunch of people that had been ruled cruelly and viciously. You had people that had been ruled and their rulers weren't, didn't care about their interests, they cared about their own interests. And now, we're being promised that there's a good king coming. A prince of peace. A wonderful counselor. A mighty God and eternal father. And we want that peace, but that peace is tied to his government. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, if you had known the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes. And he says, it's because they missed their day of visitation. He said, how I wanted to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. He would have led them into peace. 
John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, prophesied this. He said that this sun rise from on high would dawn on us. And one of the things he said it would do, he said he would guide our feet into the way of peace. There is a way of peace. Here's how you get there. Someone has to guide your feet. You will never find the way of peace until you allow your feet to be guided to the way of peace. I will never know what to do and how to do it until I allow him to be my wonderful counselor. Can you trust that he's a good counselor? This all goes back to what we think about God. If you believe that God is vicious and angry and, and, and vile and, 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 and selfish, then when you read this, you don't know if you should trust that. But when you see that God is true, he's holy, he's just, he's love, he's righteous, then all of a sudden you understand that he loves you more than you could ever love yourself. And he is my wonderful counselor. How could he be the wonderful counselor unless we're willing to ask, what should I do? Don't you know that's a promise to you? How many of us have spent days, weeks, months wrestling with an issue, wondering what to do? Would we be able to hold on to this promise that the wonderful counselor has come? And he says, I'll lead you. And we see the evidence of that through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he would lead you and guide you into all truth. You have a promise that you always have a counselor. He says he's going to be a mighty God. And, and man, when I, when I'm, if I'm ever afraid, if I'm ever intimidated, all I have to think about is the fact that he's a mighty God. He is a mighty God. I think about David standing in front of, of a st just sitting in the trenches with his brothers as Goliath is, is, is shaking his fist at God and the people of Israel. And David looks at his friends and he says, who's going to stop this guy? And, and, and they all go, well, we can't. He's really big. And he, and he goes, the loose translation of the Hebrew. You have to dig for that. You guys probably don't have the commentaries I have. David says, who is he to stand against the armies of the mighty God? And, and that word mighty God that David says is Chai Elohim, which means that he is, he is not just a strong God, but that he is an active, he's alive, mighty God. That idea of God, Elohim, was was. The word for God, which if you were to use it about angels or something, was plural. But when it spoke to God, it was, it was not Eloha, singular. It was Elohim, plural. Because the Hebrews, when they could not describe something, they pluralized it. So the waters weren't just the, wasn't just water. It was waters because it's far beyond us. It wasn't just heaven. It was heavens because we can't describe it. When they described God, and, and maybe even there was a hint of the fact that God was a, was a triune being, but they didn't understand that. When they described God, they didn't say Eloha, the mighty one. They said Elohim they, because they spoke of something that was far mightier than they could explain. Explain. And high means living. The living mighty God. Because you can believe in a God that's far off and strong. And it'll just be another myth to you. But if you believe in a living mighty God, you believe that that mighty God will move his hand and act on your behalf. So the difference is, is that everybody in that trench believed in a mighty God, but one of them believed he was alive. 
I really believed he was alive. They'd all say it, just like we'd all say it. But how many of us believe that he is alive and he will move right now? Yes. Not a genie in the body that you just, bottle that you just rub and tell him what to do, but he has made his promises. Yes. And he says the prayers of a righteous person will avail much. Right. When I look at eternal father, what a statement. Because here's the problem sometimes with us, and I know I've said that, here's the problem way too many times. There's not as many problems as you think. <laughs> it's just one problem that I'm forking out. <laughs> here's the problem, here's the problem. How do we you add up the problems? My goodness, this guy thinks there's a lot of problems. No, it's just one problem. And the one problem is us going our own way and thinking we don't need a ruler. Or thinking a ruler would be a downgrade when it's really an upgrade. When he says he's an eternal father, do you know how many people have been looking for that all their life and just never know it? And what we do is we romanticize the tale of the orphan. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I'll get through this on my own. I don't need anybody, but yes, you do. We're no longer orphans, guys. We've been rescued from a spirit that says, I'm an orphan, I'm a slave, and we've been given a spirit of adoption in which we cry out, Abba, Father, in which we cry out in an intimate term, you are my dad, you are my father, you are my, my daddy, you are, you are more than I thought I had. And you're eternal. You're not going to abandon your people. What a promise for these people back then who are wondering if Israel is going to be wiped out. But what a promise for us today. That thing you've been looking for, that hole in our hearts that we've been looking for, he is already the father that we've been searching for. He is our prince of peace and, and peace comes when he rules. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not what you eat, it's not what you drink, but it is righteousness. It is peace, and it is joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. If we want righteousness, if we want peace, if we want joy, how else but to submit to the king and say, your kingdom come in my life. You can't say your kingdom come until you're willing to have a king. I want to read you another prophecy that spoke of the coming of Jesus. Can somebody tell me where they found the prophecy that he'd be born in Bethlehem? Does anyone know that? <coughs> Micah 5. You guys all get gold stars and suckers or whatever you want. <laughs> That's right. Micah 5 2 says this. I'll give you a minute because it is Micah. <laughs> <laughs> Not like we're going to the Psalms here <laughs> where you just flop your Bible open to the middle and it's there. Micah 5, 2 says, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, you're too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. And when they hear a promise that he will be a ruler, that's a good promise. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Wow. 
Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock. In the strength of the Lord, the majesty of the name of the Lord of Yahweh his God, and they will remain. Because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. He will arise and he will shepherd his flock. Oh, how we need a shepherd. How we need a shepherd. I want you to know that a shepherd does not intermittently pop up every five years in your life and give you a little direction. A shepherd is ever present. It's the shepherd that will lead you and guide you every day of your life. And it is the shepherd that will defend you against the wolves and the lions and the bears and the enemies. So David can say, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yet fear no evil, for you are with me. Right? Amen. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, the rod is obvious. Why would a rod comfort you? It's likely a club with like spikes in it. Is it comforting because you like back scratches? <laughs> It's comforting because when a lion comes after me, that spike club hits him in the nose. That comforts me to know that the guy that's walking me is bigger than the guy that wants to eat me. I like that. That's comforting. But why does the staff comfort me? Because the staff was not for the enemies. The staff was for the sheep. The staff was how the shepherd would guide you back on the path. In fact, some of our versions of the staff that we see from ancient times have the crook on them. That's the classic. When we do the nativity scene, the shepherds always have that bent rod, you know, with the crook on it. Why? Because that's perfect for grabbing a sheep and bringing them back. Your staff comforts me. Is there something comforting about the presence of Jesus, the presence of his spirit in our lives that is able to lead us and guide us. I'm not talking about every day you get an audible instruction from God. I'm talking about his spirit being so present in your life, his word being so real in your life that every day of your life you are guided by a shepherd. You are counseled by a wonderful counselor. You are protected and held by a mighty God that we worship, reverence, and adore, revere and adore. We are fathered by an eternal father. And we are ruled by a prince of peace. I urge you to forsake your pride and your independence and to realize that the greatest promise God ever gave you was that there's a good king coming. And he will rule you like you've never been ruled in a, in a loving, in a powerful, in a righteous way. When you take a job, have you ever considered that God saw that job long before he ever created you? When you're at a point where you feel like you look all around you and there's no options and you feel like you're more confused than when you started, don't you know that there is a counselor who has a way out for you? The Bible says with every temptation, with every trial, he also provides a way of escape. You have to learn to be shepherded. And I'll close with this thought that in Isaiah 53, I brought this up a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. Isaiah 53, you don't turn now, I'll just tell you. 
Some of you are like, oh, I want to turn there though. <laughs> Would he ever know? <laughs> you can turn in your Bible, it's not bad, but I'm, I'm just going to quote it. Isaiah 53, remember this. He says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us turned to our own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. It's interesting how he ties those two together, right? In a culture where going your own way is the best thing you can do, he says that was the iniquity that put Jesus on the cross. was our idea that I got my own way. In the book of Judges, when the judge died, there was one place. You know, every time there was a judge that God sent, the people did right. And the people were protected. And the land was good. But as soon as the judge died, they went back to idolatry. They went back to doing stupid things. And there was a period where there was no judge. And the Bible says each one did what was right in their own eyes. And that was viewed as a very bad thing. You never have to do that again. He's here. He's here. Take this as a promise that's good. Peter says this. He quotes from Isaiah 53. And he says, All of us like sheep turned astray. But now we have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of our souls. I want you to learn how to be shepherded again. By the good shepherd. I want you to learn how to be fathered again. By an eternal father. I want you to learn how to be ruled. See, even when I say that, I cringe a little bit. Learn how to be ruled. <gasps> I was raised with stories of the American Revolution. <laughs> See, my parents were from the States. I had little toy muskets. I was also Canadian, so I was also used to the very gradual route where we eventually asked the Queen to give us our Constitution back. I, I'm good with that kind of revolution, too. But don't tread on me, dude. You know? Join or die. Like, I will have no ruler over me. Yet, I need a ruler over me. Yet, I want a ruler over me. And he will rule over us with justice, with righteousness, with mercy, with grace, with love, with truth, with holiness. He will rule his people. Could we learn to be ruled? Could we learn to be fathered? Could we learn to be counseled? Could we learn to be shepherded? Could we learn to come to a place where we say, thank God there's a God, and thank God I'm not him? Right? Thank God that God himself has come amongst us. I want you to examine the ways in your own life Rather than the, I'll shoot first and ask God to bless it later. <laughs> right? I will say, God, teach me. Lord, teach me. And here's the wonderful thing. If we had our way, God would only do that. Merely in our own room, he would teach us. And we would get the revelation. And we would get credit for being humble enough to receive the revelation. The problem is sometimes he uses people. And we hate this. You know, I'm great. If I, if I need to be corrected, I love when God corrects me and doesn't use anyone else. Because then I can come up and I can get in front of you guys and then go, you know, the Lord showed me that I, I had some things wrong. <laughs> oh, I, uh, but he made them right. He showed me how to fix it. 
no, don't you guys worry. <laughs> I was able to hear this clearly because that's the kind of Christian I am. <laughs> I didn't even fight him on it. Yeah, but when the Lord wants to use my wife, <laughs> didn't I have to be humble and say God uses people and he might use that person that I really love but I have to share a house with. I have to be okay with this. You know, I got people in my life that I, I've submitted myself to. I have submitted myself to them. And they can call me on the phone and say, buy a plane ticket and come see me. I need to talk to you. And I would do that. And they're not forcing me to do that. But I realize God put people in my life that see things that I don't see. And that's part of his love for me. Is that he's still fathering me. And he's still counseling me. And he's still ruling I want you to first and foremost submit yourself to God, to his Holy Spirit. And I want you to know that submission is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Submitting ourselves to God is the step before we resist the devil and he flees. Right? We can preach resist the devil and he will flee all your life, but if you don't submit to God, the Bible says, if I will humble myself under the mighty hand of God, that mighty hand of God is not crushing me. That mighty hand of God is sheltering me. Then he will lift me up at due time. Thank God we have a king. Thank God we have a ruler. Thank God we have a counselor. Thank God we have a father. Thank God there is a prince of peace. And if I will allow my feet to be guided, then I will be on his path of peace. Thank God he won peace for me on the cross. No one can steal that. But there is a path in my life. If I want peace, I have to say, I trust my shepherd. Amen. 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 I want you to view Isaiah 9 and 6 and, and, and that whole chapter as not a threat but a great promise. Amen. All the things we've been running from. Uh, you, you listen, I understand. We've had shepherds who've hurt us. We've had fathers who've hurt us. We've had counselors that led us astray. See, we have to get past the hurts of imperfect people and allow a perfect God to heal us. Yeah. Amen.